few months ago. Feeling better about it. I drew a deep breath, pushing the gray away and opened my eyes as I exhaled. I don't feel sick all the time, I replied. And I don't have to live in it most of the time. Sometimes it still gets the better of me and I fall in. But mostly, I have control of it more than it has of me. Mara grinned at me from her couch, her green eyes sparkling, and said, Don't go getting too cocky now, Harper. There's still a vast trickiness to the gray. I snorted. That was not news to me, even then. That was a couple of months ago. We'd been sitting on the matching couches in the Danziger's living room, a sunny, comfortable spot and a far cry from the slippery mist world of the gray, the here-not-here place that lies like a fringe of shadow between the normal and the paranormal. It's the world of ghosts, vampires, and magic, and I am one of its few dual citizens. There are people like Mara, witches and so on, who can touch the gray in some way and draw power or information from it. But as far as I know, only ghosts and monsters truly live there. I, however, seem to be half in and half out all the time. I can't do magic or exercise spirits or anything flashy like that. I'm a gray walker. A human who can enter the gray and move through it as if it were the normal world. Apparently I got this way when I died for a couple of minutes. So far, no one had been able to explain to me why me and not everyone else medical technology pulls back from clinical death, but I seemed to be the only gray walker around the Pacific Northwest. There didn't appear to be a cure or even a way to quit, but Mara and Ben had been teaching me how to keep it under control and how to stay out of trouble, insofar as I could stay out of trouble. My work and the gray seemed to intersect more often than I'd have liked, and it hadn't been pleasant. As a private investigator, I usually carried a pretty dull caseload, but once the ghosts and vampires found me, things got weird fast. In October, months after the calm on the couch, I wished that the meeting I was driving to would be normal, even boring, but since I'd been recommended by Ben, the self-proclaimed ghost guy, I wasn't holding out a lot of hope. Within a few minutes of my arrival, even that bit of hope was totally dashed. Chapter One I sat in a box-like office for 23 minutes as Professor Gartner Tuckman told me that he and a motley group of strangers had made a ghost. Not in the film noir bang-bang sense, but in the creepy woo-woo sense. Frankly, I found Tuckman creepier than some of the ghosts I've met. He was thin and intense, with a hectoring, arrogant manner, a sharp voice, and the cultivated, piercing gaze of a silent film villain. He was also a liar, at least by omission. I held up a finger to stem the battering wash of his words. Let me see if I understand this, Dr. Tuckman. You put together a group of people who made up a ghost and haunted themselves? No, they did not haunt anything. There is no ghost. It's an artificial entity powered by their own belief and expectation. The parapsychologists would call it a group thought form. I thought you were a parapsychologist, 
he scoffed. I'm a psychologist. I studied the minds of people, not spooks. The point of this project is observing how rational individuals become irrational in groups, and how that is reinforced by the group itself. In recreating the Philip experiments, I gave them an acceptable focus for their irrationality. The group in the Philip experiments claimed to have created an artificial poltergeist, right? Psychokinetic phenomena and all? He rolled his eyes. Oversimplified, but yes. So you told your group to make up a ghost, believe in it, hold these seances, and they'd get phenomena. Did they? Tuckman tossed his head. Of course they did. Regardless of anything else questionable about the Philip experiments, they did undeniably.